Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Listen, the second coming is happening. It's going to happen. So pray with persistence and humility. And number two, believe with childlike faith. Because he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, look, it's important that we exercise the brains that God has given us, okay? Faith is not to be dumb. Faith can be intelligent faith. But faith exclusively approached intellectually is not faith at all. There is a certain amount of trust that is involved in faith, or it's not really faith by definition. Do you really have faith in what Jesus can do? Sure, it's easy to say you have faith, but are you really trusting Him to come through? Today, Pastor Gary will ask you to examine what you believe about what Jesus says in the Bible, particularly when it comes to His return. Jesus has laid out many details about his second coming, but as you'll learn today, there's still a lot of mystery. Are you willing to believe him, even though you can't fully understand what's still to come? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 18, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Jesus continues, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled There's the theme, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So if the first parable was about persistence, be persistent in prayer. The second parable is about humility. Be persistent and humble in prayer before God. Don't approach the throne with the attitude of the Pharisee. Approach the throne with the attitude of the tax collector. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Don't make it all about what you think you're entitled to. Prayer, it is so easy for us to turn to God in prayer because of everything we want. I want this, I want that, I believe this about me, I believe that about me. Instead, the tax collector had this right perspective. God, I'm just a sinner, and just have mercy on me. And the Lord here says that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's a constant theme throughout the Bible, that God humbles the proud, but he lifts up, he exalts those who are humble. Now, this whole subject of prayer is, has always been challenging to me personally, and perhaps to you as well. And I love the story of, uh, if you've studied anything about church history, a little bit about George Mueller who was such a man of prayer, such an example of a praying man. George Mueller lived um, 
1805 to 1898. He um, died at the age of 93. He was a Christian evangelist and in England, and he also was the director of an orphanage called Ashley Down Orphanage, where he cared for, in the course of his lifetime, 10,024 orphans. 10,024 orphans. And he also established, in the course of his lifetime, 117 schools, which offered Christian education to over 120,000 children throughout England, many of them being orphans. And there's a book that was written about his life called George Mueller, Delighted in God by Roger Steer. And in Steer's book, he tells this story about how George Mueller, George Mueller was known for his prayer life that he would pray a minimum of three hours every morning. He'd get up and pray before dawn. So he would usually get up at 3 a.m. and be done by 6 a.m. And in Steer's book, he talks about this one documented case that is pretty well known. Many of you are familiar, perhaps, with the story, where uh, during the 1800s, Mueller was running his orphanage, and he had no more food for the children. I mean, nothing. And so he, he brought all the kids down to the breakfast table, and like they were ready to eat, and he said, all right, kids, we're just going to fold our hands and we're just going to pray and we're going to ask God to bless the food. And he had no food. And he just prayed and got the kids to pray. We're just going to pray and ask the Lord to bless the food. And right about that time, there was a knock at the door of the orphanage. And the Lord had moved in the heart of the local baker to come and to deliver all this bread to the kids. And so in comes all this bread. And then the milk truck, which was pulled on a wagon, broke down, the wagon broke down in town, and all the milk was going to spoil. And so the guy who was driving the milk cart knocked on the orphanage and said, I got all this milk, my cart broke down, so can you use some milk? And that morning, all the kids uh, received bread and milk, and it was a miraculous provision from the Lord. But Mueller, in in one of his um, writings, described his prayer life, and he said this, he said, prayer wasn't just quiet time with God in the morning. It was a way of life. He said, quote, I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk about, when I lie down, and when I rise up. And the answers are always coming. Thousands and tens of thousands of times have my prayers been answered. When once I am persuaded that a thing is right and for the glory of God, I go on praying for it until the answer comes. George Mueller never gives up, end quote. And I came across also some other quotes about prayer that are challenging from uh, some of the early uh, fathers of the faith. Uh, Martin Luther, he said, quote, If I fail to spend a few hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much business that I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. John Wesley said, quote, Prayer is where the action is, end quote. E.M. Bounds said, quote, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. J. Hudson Taylor said, the prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment, let us answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And William Cowper said, quote, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. Good reminder for us. It's not that we need more information about how to pray. It's that we simply need to pray. 
And Jesus says here, listen, as you anticipate my second coming, be people of prayer. Be people who persistently pray. Be people who pray with humility. Approach the throne of grace and be praying people. And then in the next section here in Luke 18, from verse 15 to 17, just these couple of verses, it says that people were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. They rebuked the parents. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, I typically will read this section actually from the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 10, uh, Mark records a similar scene here. Uh, In fact, Mark gives us a couple of more little things about this occasion that Luke does not. Mark tells us in Mark 10, 24, that Jesus was indignant with his disciples when they rebuked the parents because the disciples thought that Jesus was, you know, too busy to, to be bothered with children. And so when the disciples rebuked the parents, it says Jesus was indignant. He was mad at his disciples. And then the other part that Mark tells us is that Jesus took the children in his arms and he blessed them. He prayed over them. And so that's why we dedicate little ones around here. And and we'll use this passage as an example of why we pray over little ones and just dedicate them to the Lord because the Lord loves children. And and so we just pray and commit with parents, uh, their children, uh, here in our services from time to time. But what Jesus, I think, is saying in the continuous theme here is to believe with childlike faith. You say, okay, listen, the second coming is happening. It's going to happen. So pray with persistence and humility. And number two, believe with childlike faith. Because he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, look, it's important that we exercise the brains that God has given us, okay? Faith is not to be dumb. Faith can be intelligent faith. But faith exclusively approached intellectually is not faith at all. There is a certain amount of trust that is involved in faith, or it's not really faith by definition. And so there comes a point where, uh, again, it should be an intelligent faith, where we exercise our, our minds and the brain that God has given us, but there comes a place where we approach God with a sense of trust like a little child. Every little child you know does not have everything figured out, right? And every little child is starts out very innocent, you know, very trusting, and then they grow up and get an attitude. It's called a teenager. And uh, and we've all done it. We've all been there. And we all think then we know it all. And so, you know, then we kind of, you know, get too full of ourselves. But in their innocent stage, in innocence in the sense of just they're trusting, they're, they're very, you know, they're very open to anything. Their world is just kind of, you know, know, they're wide-eyed about as children, so we should be with the Lord when it comes to faith. Again, it shouldn't be this dumb thing where we just, okay, you know, whatever, but, but it should be an intelligent exercise of faith where we reach a point where intellect can only take us so far. And then we have to just simply trust. Trust. You, you remember the first time that you swam in a swimming pool 
And, you know, it's just kind of that moment where you're like on the edge of the pool and, you know, you're not quite sure. And, you know, dad or mom is there in the pool saying, you know, just jump, jump. You can jump. You can do this. And you got the water wings on and, you know, or you got the inner tube around your waist and you still are feeling like, I'm not really sure I can do this. But, you know, you can stand there at the edge of the pool all day long and figure it out and try to say to yourself, I wonder how cold the water is. I wonder how deep the water is. I wonder what it'll feel like if I jump in and never do anything. Or you can just at some point say, I'm just going to, with abandonment, just jump right in. And that's what faith is. At some point, you just can't intellectualize everything or you will never make the plunge. And faith is that childlike trust, that childlike embrace of everything that God says that he is as he reveals himself in Scripture. And so pray with persistence and humility. Number two, believe with childlike faith. And then he has this encounter here with what my Bible is subtitled, the rich ruler. And it says this in verse 18, that a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we'll pause there. There's a reaction. Even his own disciples react over this. Like, you know, what does this mean? And how can this be? But let's let's first understand what's going on here. So you have this, this guy. Um, I think it's Mark's gospel that also says he was young. A young, rich ruler who comes to Jesus and he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he addresses Jesus as good teacher. Now, Jesus uses the opportunity to kind of expose the guy's heart here. Because Jesus responds with a question. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now what he's basically saying here is, if you call me good, are you going to believe that I'm God? Because only God is good. And if you believe that I'm God, are you going to do what I say? That's what's inferred here. He's basically bringing the guy to the realization that you call me good, okay, fine, but only God is good. And then he goes into the commandments. The idea is, are you calling me good because you believe I'm God? And if you think I'm God, are you going to believe and do what I say? And then Jesus challenges this guy. Now remember, the guy's question is eternal life. What must I do to be saved? Please notice here that Jesus does not break out a track. And he does not say, well, here are the four spiritual laws. Confess, repent, believe, receive. And then you'll go to heaven and take him through the scripture of Romans, okay? Romans wasn't written yet, all right? There was no Romans road to salvation. The four spiritual laws are a great tool, but please don't overcomplicate salvation. Now, this almost sounds heretical. I mean, if somebody today were to ask you, what must I do to get saved? How can I become a Christian? And you respond here the way Jesus did. Okay, well, listen, you know what the commandments say. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony out of your father and mother. Do these things and you'll be saved. You're basically telling them to do a works-oriented relationship here. And there's no such thing. But that's not what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is he's going to pry this guy's heart open to expose the great issue. 
There's a problem this guy has here. Now, the first thing that Jesus does is to communicate. How many does it communicate here? You do not, um, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. He quotes and summarizes five of the Ten Commandments. But please note, all five that he refers to are from the second tablet. Now, there are two tablets of the testimony. The Ten Commandments are divided into basically four commandments and six. The first four are vertical. The first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with one's relationship to God. No idols. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. No other gods before me. The second tablet of the testimony are horizontal. That's to do with your relationship with one another. No adultery. Don't steal from anybody. Don't covet. Don't bear false testimony. So the Ten Commandments, the two tablets, are divided into the vertical and the horizontal. And Jesus starts by quoting the second tablet. He's quoting the things related to the horizontal. Because what? He knows that this guy is doing well on that level. So he says, now listen, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And what does the guy say? All these I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus knows this, right? It's a setup only in the sense that he wants to peel back the guy's heart to expose his heart to this guy. So he starts out with what the guy's doing well. Well, let me, let me just quote a few commandments for you. And the guy's like, yeah, 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 got them all down. I'm, I'm that. I'm that, Jesus. I'm obedient to all those you just said. Jesus is like, great. But now let's move on to the first tablet of the testimony. And he starts quoting from the first tablet, which is the vertical. He says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You say, where is he quoting from the first tablet? What he's basically saying to this guy is, you shall have no other gods before God. You shall have no idols. He's quoting commandment number one and commandment number two from the first tablet. And what he's making the guy aware of is that you might be doing well on the horizontal as it relates to other people. You're not doing so well in the vertical because you've made money your God. You've made an idol out of your possessions. So your vertical relationship is not good, is it? And that's when the guy responds. And unfortunately, instead of responding with humility and brokenness, saying, you know, you're right. I've made other things my God. It just simply says that when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And we don't know if this guy ever became a believer. It seems to indicate in the Gospels that he doesn't, but maybe he does later. And then this is where Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, again, going back to my first statement where it almost sounds heretical, it's not heretical. What Jesus is doing is he's making the guy aware of the fact that he can't keep the law. And we need to recognize that the law was given to bring us to Christ. Because the more that we see the regulation of the code of the law of God, the more we realize, I need a savior. I need a savior. I mean, the more you're gut honest with yourself and you recognize about God's laws, how many did you break just driving to church tonight? <laughs> and then you get to church and you're like, okay, let me worship through this and let me have communion and I go, God, cleanse my heart because, you know, I just cussed at the guy who cut me off on Route 7 trying to get here. And then you come into church and now you're praising the Lord. <laughs> you know, you were cussing 10 minutes ago. <laughs> And so here's the thing. 
Jesus is not trying to tell the guy, just perform all these works and obey all the commandments and you get to go to heaven. What he's trying to get the guy to realize is, you cannot keep the commandments, therefore you need a savior. Hello, I'm the savior. It never gets to that point of the conversation because the guy is just now sad because he was a man of great wealth and Jesus had put his finger on a tender nerve. Here's the deal. You're not ready to follow the savior because you have another God in your life and it happens to be, in your case, your money. Jesus is not condemning carte blanche, the idea of being wealthy. What he is saying, however, is that wealth, like a lot of things, if we're not careful, can become a god. And we can make an idol out of it. And then Jesus talks here about it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. And, you know, and I've talked about this before. You hear a lot of different commentators try to break this down and make it sound, you know, so spiritual like well you know the eye of a needle in those days was the entrance to a small town and and so it was a small little entrance instead of the real big entrance and so and when a camel approached it then you'd have to get the camel down on all four of its knees and then scooch it through the little opening and that that's what really the eye of a needle is it's just a small opening and that is just baloney Okay, first of all, if you end up reducing this story to getting a camel down on its knees and pushing that thing through, huffing and puffing until you get it, you've again made it a works thing. I just, if I work hard enough, push this camel through, then I'll be able to go to heaven. Jesus is using, it's actually a needle. The word used here in the Greek is a sewing needle. Jesus is actually saying, listen, if you want to approach the kingdom in a works way, or with any other God other than the true and living God, it's impossible. He's talking about pushing a camel through a literal sewing needle, the eye of a sewing needle, because he wants the point to be made. Can't happen. You can't have another God in your life and still be surrendered to the Lord. And you cannot just work your way to heaven. So listen, it's not, again, a condemnation against money in general. It's a condemnation against anything that we make God instead of the true and living God. That's why in verse 27, Jesus replied, because they asked then in verse 26, those who heard asked, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. God has made it possible through a Savior. You can't approach heaven by the works. You have to approach it by grace, and God has made it possible that way. And Peter said to him, verse 28, so he's still stuck on the money thing, and Peter says, we've left all we had to follow you. We're poor now. We've left everything. What does this mean for us? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come specifically eternal life. He's like, he's like, Peter, just calm down. Listen, you're, you're not going to end up in a poorhouse. I'm going to take care of you. You will be blessed in this age and especially in the age to come because all that I'm talking about translates to eternal life. So get your eyes off of the material, get your eyes off the temporal, get your eyes off of stuff, and realize the greater purpose behind all this is the meaning of Christ and Savior and eternity because we're talking about eternal things. So often, we do what Peter does. We just get so focused on the temporal, so focused on the material, so focused on the here and now, that we lose focus about what is really important, and that is all those things that are eternal. Lord, help us to be eternally minded instead of earthly minded. Lord, help us to think about 
what is ahead instead of what is at hand. May we have in mind the things of God and not just the things of the earth, the things that are now. Because folks, if you just want to focus on the things that are now, you will be continually tormented. Continually tormented. But you get your eyes off of stuff that is now, and you focus with an eternal perspective, and you live your life with that eternal perspective, that's the hope that we have in Christ. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones, your connection, run towards your new life. The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ, from His birth to His ministry, His death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to Himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in Him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But His death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know